Hey, good morning, Harvest. Uh, great to be with you here. I got shortchanged last year when Patty and I were in Zim. Uh, I was scheduled to speak a time or two at Harvest over there at Gateway Secondary School, but uh, obviously you know what happened. And uh, yeah, we got locked down, but we really weren't locked down. We were out at Habitation of Hope. We did about six building projects, and so n no worries. So for how many years I've been coming to Zim? I guess since 93, something like that. And I usually, you know, I'll say, well, I bring you greetings from President Obama. I bring you greetings from President Trump. Now I bring you greetings from President Biden. And uh, we're just biding our time now <laughs> these days in the States. <laughs> no pun intended. But it's great. Glad, glad to be here with you. Hey, I want you to open your Bibles up, if you would, to the book of First uh, Peter. Uh, there's some very, very important instructions and uh, principles here. Peter is writing to aliens. He's writing to strangers. He's writing to outcasts. He's writing to uh, pilgrims uh, whose citizenship is in heaven, but they're living on, on planet Earth. And so uh, I have a couple of questions as we begin here. Have you ever had people lie about you to others? Have you sensed at some point in time that God has abandoned you? Had your dream shattered? Felt like you've been dealt a bad hand? Blame God for your hard circumstances? Wanted to throw in the towel and quit? Well, welcome to life, my friends, in a fallen world. <laughs> uh, so I want to share with you then some, a message I've entitled, When Life Just Ain't Fair. And Peter is writing to Christians, Jesus followers, and they aren't being treated the best. And so I have a thesis this morning, and my thesis is this. If all you and I have is the skewed human perspective on trials and suffering instead of a divine one, I can guarantee you something almost. You will be constantly disillusioned, disappointed, perhaps even depressed, and joy will never be your portion. Now I have another question as we begin here this morning, and it's this. If you are a Christ follower, and I hope you are, I hope you surrendered your life to him, what do you think is the number one characteristic of a Jesus follower? If you could put it in just one or two words, fill in the blank. Now, obviously, I have my own fill in the blank there. And if I had a, a pencil in front of me here, what I would do is I would take that pencil, I'd put my hands on it, and I would break it into two pieces. Because from my limited perspective in my 46 years of trying to follow Jesus as best I can by the power of the Holy Spirit, I would have to say that brokenness an absolute surrender to the person of Jesus Christ is the number one characteristic of a Christ follower. I recently did a message, uh, well, a series of messages on, uh, from Matthew chapters 8 and Matthew chapter 9. And if you start after the Sermon on the Mount, it's the, the very first encounter that Jesus has in, in chapter 8 is with a leper. So what does the leper do? The leper comes and he bows down before Jesus. Humility. The next one is, is a centurion who, who says, you know what, I'm, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. You just say the word 
and my servant will be healed. I say to this one, go and he goes, come and he comes, do this and he does it. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I haven't found such great faith in, in, in all of Israel. The next little encounter that you see here is, is Jesus in, in the boat with his disciples. He's sleeping and the water's in the boat and they wake him up and says, hey, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? So they, they cry out. They come to the end of themselves. A demon-possessed man comes and bows down before Jesus, a sign of humility. There's this woman, 12 years hemorrhaging. She's been bleeding with an issue of blood. She can't go to the synagogue. No one can touch her. Her husband can't even touch her. No one can. She is an unclean one. She says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, that's all I need to do. I'll be made well. And then there's uh, th th these two blind guys. They cry out and say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. I hope, my friends, that you've confessed before him your unworthiness. And whatever trials, whatever issues, whatever you're going through, because life is not fair in a fallen world, that you humble yourself under his mighty hand. Because he exalts the humble and he's opposed to the proud. My main issue in life is pride. I'll tell you straight up. The less the flesh, the less the eyes, the pride of life. Because pride comes before every kind of fall that you fall into. So Peter is writing and he's trying to encourage. And he's trying to comfort these, these believers that are scattered throughout Asia Minor. And so I want you to focus your eyes in chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Now previously he said in verse 13, he says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sakes to every human institution whether to a king as to one authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For this is, notice, the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so even governments that do not treat their citizens like they should, we're, we're to submit. Now you don't have to, but then you have to bear the consequences. They don't bear the sword for nothing. And so the early disciples... By and large, they fell under the authority of the government, except when it came to the fact that you cannot speak anymore in Jerusalem about this one you call Jesus, whom you say have been raised from the dead. And that was it. That was the, their, they, they weren't going to take anything more. And so we cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. And so they faced the consequences. And uh, they, they were scattered. They, were, they left Jerusalem. And uh, if you know anything about where the disciples died, all except John, uh, the, in a book you can read, Fox's Book of Martyrs, well, that's what they did. They suffered, they died for Jesus' sake. Now, when you come down to verse 18, it says this, Servants, the second time this word submission now is used, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Uh, in in Roman times, in, in Paul or in Peter's day here, there was supposedly about 60 million slaves. Different slavery than what we experienced and had in the, in the states, but nevertheless, they, they were they were slaves. And so, what what uh, Peter is saying, slaves, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Today, it would be like an uh, employee and employer were to submit to our employers. He goes on and says, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. 
And then he gives the reason. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, in other words, big deal, you got it coming and you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at this little short passage of Scripture here, 18 to 20, and just share some thoughts. It's literally a command here. The command is to submit to authority. If a child never learns how to submit to mother and father, how in the world are they ever going to learn to submit to God? Fathers are to bring their children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So Peter's instructing them how to live a godly life, letting their light shine, being the salt of the earth in the midst of this perverse and wicked world in which they were living and in which they were being persecuted. The second thing I'd like to put, uh, share with you is, is not only the command, but the dilemma. The dilemma is when you, you have an unreasonable master over you. You're in a particular situation. Uh, it, it could be anything. It could be in a marriage when you, uh, you have a husband who is, who is domineering. In fact, Peter is going to address this in chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, in the same way, refers to Jesus' suffering. Be submissive to your own husbands so that any of them are disobedient to word. They be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. They're to come under their authority, not to rebel, not to try to get a divorce, not to do anything like that, but to honor God in the midst of it. So that's the dilemma that you face. It doesn't seem right. It's not right, but we're to honor God with it. So the motive is to do it for Jesus' sake. You do it to find favor with God, not to be a man pleaser. The prize in submitting is God's clap. It's God's approval that we live as such a way in the midst of this wicked world that people can tell that we are an aroma from life to life to, to some and death to death to others. And that, that, that we would triumph trusting in Christ. And, and, that, and that's the impact that we will have it, because it's all for God's glory. That we would shine forth, as Philippians chapter 2 says, we'd shine forth as stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, you say, this, this doesn't sound reasonable. Well, it's not reasonable, but, but I, I want you to look at the model of all of this is none other than our Lord Jesus. Follow along with me now as I begin to read in verse 21. For you, these are all these aliens, strangers scattered throughout, you were called for this purpose. What's the purpose? <laughs> Suffering. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now notice, he committed no sin, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. Friends, that's not natural, that's supernatural. While suffering, 
he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And here's the purpose clause. Why did he do that? Well, I have a book by Piper, 50 Reasons Why Christ Died, but here's one. So that we, you, me, Jesus' followers, might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds, by his suffering, by his scourging, by his death, by the shedding of his blood, you were healed. That's the only healing that's available for you and I because of our iniquities and transgressions and, and sins. We're lawbreakers. He bore in his body all of that. And then verse 25 says, For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Do you see? Because there's someone who watches over your soul. There's someone who leads, who guides you, who can come alongside and put his arm around you. Someone who can weep with you when you are weeping. Someone who can bear all of your burdens because he is alone, my friends, the burden bearer. So the model that we have is, is Christ. This is Peter's instruction and this is Peter's exhortation. And believe me, he lived this. He's not some fellow that come along and, and saying, hey, well, uh, you know, I'll tell you this, but, but uh, do something else. No, not at all. So I want to share with you some, some principles and apply these. And I, I've got a number of things that I would just like to point out. Number one, when you go through <clears throat> things that are just plain difficult, you might call it suffering, you might call it persecution, you might call it just... Uh, life, and as I mentioned before, in a fallen world, one of the things that should encourage you and me is that we should contemplate and know what our calling is. Verse 21 says, For you have been called for this purpose. It's for the purpose of suffering. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, I think it's verse 27, uh, Paul is writing, and he says, To you, Philippians, it has been granted. The word there is, means like a gift at Christmas or birthday or whatever, to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, I mean, the, praise God for that, that he gives us the faith to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. The disciples rejoiced that they were able to suffer for Jesus' sake because they were living their lives not for themselves. One of the reasons that Jesus died, according to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is he died so that we who live should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died and rose again on, for, on, on our behalf. He didn't just die so we get a free ticket to heaven and we just breeze on in. No, not at all. So that Glenn would no longer live for Glenn. So that Craig would no longer live for Craig. That our wives would no longer live for themselves but, but for him, for our Savior. The second thing I like to point out here is when you go through trials and tribulations, there's a tendency to have a nice pity party. And you ask, why me? Why now? Why this? But, but one thing I think we need to banish from our mind is any kind of victim mentality. 
Whenever someone thinks of themselves as a victim, they're in a state in which they will never get out and they're always blaming, they're always expecting things from other people. I had this happen to me and that's the cause or the reason why I'm in the state that I'm in. No, you've got to banish a victim mentality. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats. So, let people revile you. When people gossip about you, let them, let them go ahead. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to take up a cause. It's just going to happen. Thirdly, we should adopt a God consciousness. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a man, a woman, a boy or girl bears up under sorrows while suffering unjustly. And so we do it for, for his sake for our Savior's sake. And then we should entrust ourselves like Jesus did. He entrusted himself to the Father. We are to entrust ourselves to the judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. And we are to come under his authority. And so whatever happens in our lives, we have to believe that he is in sovereign control of what's taking place in this world. Nothing takes him by surprise. His providence his sovereignty, uh, Psalm 103 says, it rules over everything. And I'm telling you, there's tremendous comfort in knowing that God rules, that God reigns. COVID, no COVID, it, it, it doesn't matter. Nothing takes him by surprise. Now, this next one is a difficult one. And I, I, I call it absorb the wounds from others. Jesus bore in his body our sins, our wounds. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed. He was pierced through for our transgressions. And living in this world, people are going to say things about you. People are going to do things to you. And uh, they're going to be unjust. And how in the world do you respond? We have to learn how to absorb those things just like Jesus absorbed our sins we do not have to retaliate we do not have to get even you do not have to bite your nails and wonder about your your uh, uh, who you are and and your persona or anything else no not at all and Jesus when he died upon the cross he died for all sinners and he, he died, obviously, you know, there's this thing with divine sovereignty and free will and so forth. You know, he, he died for the elect. I'm not going to get in any debate on that. But, but he died for God so loved the world that whoever believes. And for, for, for us, as we go through issues in life, whether it's in the States, we've got things going on there that are just plain crazy these days. Never cancel out anyone. We have this term called cancel culture now. And if, uh, you know, someone doesn't believe what you believe and so forth, you just, just write them off, just cancel them out. Uh, uh, they're, they're just, they're nobody. They don't deserve a listening ear. And, and you can treat them any way you want to because they don't have your perspective. They don't have, quote, your truth. But that's not an option for you and for me. Friends, um, 
the, the, our chromosomes, our genes, they all go back to Adam. They all go back to Eve. Paul in his defense, or what he says in, in Acts chapter 17, God has made from one man every single person under heaven and on earth. No matter what culture you come from, no matter what your race and so forth may, may be. And so we are to treat everybody with dignity. The old, the young, it does not matter what their state is, educated, uneducated. So don't cancel people out. That, that's, that's not living, living for Jesus, a life that is true. It's not striving to please Him in all that we do. It's not yielding allegiance to Him, glad-hearted and free, as the old song says. And then, verse 25, For you are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Sometimes as we go through issues in life, we say, well, God, you, you, you must have abandoned me, and why me, why now, why, why this? And Listen, God is in charge, and we can always come back, and we can return, and we can repent of whatever it is that we've done. Maybe you've gotten off track in your journey, in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you haven't put your little hand in His big righteous right hand on an everyday basis. But you can return. And you're going to return to the one who is the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Because the most important thing that you possess and that I possess is our soul. I'm sitting here with Craig as he's, he's doing this here, and Craig has two precious little girls. Those precious little girls have souls, and those little souls are going to spend eternity somewhere. And that's what we do, what we do as, as Jesus' followers. We warn people to flee from the wrath to come. We long for them to embrace the one who has embraced us and given us so much. You know, if I were to take you back in, in here, he's, I've been sharing about when, when life ain't fair, but you know what? God has given us things that you and I don't deserve. If I were to take you back to chapter one, <laughs> it, it starts out like this. You were chosen, alien strangers, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ, to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. You have been chosen. You have been born again to a living hope. He says you have an inheritance that God has given you free of charge. You didn't deserve it. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Is that a blessing? Does that deserve, uh, God deserve to be worshipped and praised for who He is? And then he goes on, he says, Presently, you're protected by the power of God for salvation ready to be revealed when Christ returns. And then he goes on, he says, If now you've been distressed by various trials, we have a trial developing faith. So as we go through trials, what they do is they strengthen us. They, they, they build up our faith. And then he says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. <laughs> he's, he's given us the love, uh, 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 faith even to believe in him and then, and then to love him and then to trust him, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the very salvation 
of your soul. So why would we not want to live our lives and willing to suffer for one who has done all of these things for us? He's blessed us, my friend, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You deserve none of those. Read, read down through from chapter 1 in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 down to about verse 17 or 18. It's just like one long sentence. All that God has lavished upon us, these are endowments that He has given us free of charge, out of His rich mercy, out of His rich grace, being sprinkled by His blood, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, we have a God who loves us with an everlasting love. When I was in Zimbabwe here about uh, three years ago, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. I shared this with you once before. And uh, God put uh, on my heart Galatians 6, 17. It says, it says this. From now on, this is the closing words of Paul in Galatians. Let no one trouble me by making it necessary for me to justify my authority as an apostle in the absolute truth of the gospel, for I bear on my body the branding marks of Jesus, the wounds, the scars, and other outward evidence of persecution. These testify to his ownership of me. And I got out my pen and I got out a piece of paper and I began to write down what are the brand marks, what are the marks of a Jesus, a Christ follower. And I put together just from memory out of I little I know or what I know of scripture, 20 different marks of a Jesus, a Christ follower. One of them, actually one of the first ones, is brokenness and absolute surrender to him. In 75, my wife and I, I've shared this with you before, we knelt on our bed after a trip that I'd taken Africa for seven weeks, sharing Christ, sports ambassadors team, basketball, Kenya, Ethiopia, Egypt. We knelt down and we prayed and we said, Lord, we'll go anywhere, do anything with anybody. I'm 77, she's 76, we haven't rescinded what we said. And when I do this live at, uh, at Craig's gathering on Sunday, I've got a couple of pictures I'm going to show um, of two missionaries. One is Amy Carmichael, 50 years as a missionary in India. There's a book written by Elizabeth Elliot called A Chance to Die. And she says, missionary life is simply a chance to die. The Christian life, my friends, is simply a chance to live and a chance to die for our Savior. She wrote many books and she said, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything that I do be called a sacrifice? Friends, it's a joy for us to be able to live for our Savior. It's a joy for us, it should be, for us to die if necessary for our Savior. David Livingston was the trailblazer. You all know a lot about him. You go down to Livingston, you go down to Vic Falls there. But he said this, God send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart 
to yours. You see, you have a heart. And God is interested in your heart. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I hope that He, the Lord Jesus, is your treasure. When you find Him, just like a treasure hid in a field, you sell all that you got and you buy the field. There is no one more precious. There is no one more in control of this world. No one more loving. No one more kind. No one who will open his arms to you if you return to him. It's like the prodigal son. Actually, the parable should probably be a parable of the forgiving father rather than a prodigal son. We're all a bunch of prodigals. But we can return every time. His arms are open. You'll throw a party even for us. Because he never stops giving up on you. Thanks for this, the privilege and honor of uh, sharing some thoughts. No fun, actually, just staring into a, a camera. But, but, but Craig, Craig is here. He's looking up all these scriptures, you know, that I've probably misled you on and so forth. But uh, no, it's, it's a joy to be with you. God bless you.